Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Passover principles. We are looking at it prophetically from a New Testament perspective. Not just the Passover per se and all that it represents, but we are drawing spiritual principles from the actual historical account that took place. Later on, um, either now or much later in the new year, I will give further explanation as to how Jesus, in the day in which he lived historically, and his ministry lasted for three and a half years, he attended personally four Passovers, the time of Israel's celebration of that feast. I will encourage you to already start to study these. All four Passovers that Jesus attended are located in the book of John. John would indicate, and now the time of the Passover was near. And so what happens in terms of the life of Jesus there onwards, it's very good for us to study because you deal with Passover from the perspective of how the Son of God positioned himself in that timing in which that celebration was um, occurring. And some of the events, some of the sayings that he, that he said, that, um, that some of the events that took place, some of the sayings that he uttered, and what implications does that have? For the church today. Obviously, the very last one was actually on the night that he was betrayed and he took bread. The next day, there would be a set of processes that would lead to his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. So the final Passover was when he, the Lamb of God, would be slain for the salvation of the entire known world. But that's a forthcoming attraction. I'm saying that for, I know many of you are lovers of God's word. I will encourage you, start to read the four occasions in the Gospel of John where Jesus attended a Passover and study what, what happened there, what did he say, what were the enactments, what are the implications for us to observe in, in our day. For today, however, um, I want to focus on something and then speak prophetically to us. Last week, I said to you, that Israel, in celebrating the Passover, ate the lamb together with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And we discussed leaven in some detail. And in your house churches, again, you went through the implications of what does leaven mean. Okay? Now, um, the Bible is very clear. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. And there, there, there must be no leaven in the house. Internalization of unleavened bread was critical to the entire construct of Israel's migration. No migration can ever take place with leaven. You assimilate unleavened bread before the migration. Okay? Any, any trace of falsity, any trace of sin, any trace of hypocrisy, any trace of sensuality, sexual immorality, right? Any trace of modernism 
to the exclusion of things spiritual, any trace of hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees, any trace of insecurity, the leaven of Herod, for example, all of those issues must be thoroughly extracted from a people that are, are, are bent on migration. Amen? So I want to encourage you. It's such a critical thing for me, that lesson last week, that should we go with leaven, we are going to be compromised in the journey. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Make no mistake about that. The sin of Achan was attributed to the sin of the entire nation. Remember when Achan hid the accursed thing, the Babylonian garment, um, the wedge of silver, I think it was, um, in his tent? Um, when Joshua prayed to God and he was literally inquiring of the Lord, why uh, are we not being victorious in subsequent battles? We overthrew Jericho, a formidable fortress city. Jericho was tightly shut up, the scripture says. Okay? It was, it was tightly shut up. Right? No one could go out and no one could come in, the Bible says. Its walls were so wide, I think it was seven, I can't remember the number of chariots that could race side by side on the walls. Right? A fortress city. Joshua, together with Israel, under God's command, overthrew that city. The next city to take was the city of I. Capital A, small I. The city of I. And the army said to Joshua, don't let all of us go fight. Send a few men. For by comparison to Jericho, this city is a walk in the park. This is a Sunday school picnic as far their, in terms of their estimate. You know the story. They attacked the city. But the men of Ai destroy several hundred thousand Israelites. Joshua cries before the Lord. Why did you give us major victory at Jericho and yet a lesser enemy by comparison rout us? Joshua, God says to Joshua, up, Israel has sinned. Did Israel sin? No, one man sinned. Achan, the Bible says, when they, they attacked Jericho, they took, he took um, Babylonian items to himself when the command was, no one must take spoil unto himself, but everything is devoted to the, to the Lord. So God does not say, up Joshua, Achan has sinned. God says, up Joshua, Israel has sinned. The sin of one man was accredited to the whole community. A little leaven levels the whole, the whole lump. In a corporate entity where community and commonality is predominant. It works both ways. That the victory of one will be the victory of the rest. But also the sin of one will be an inhibition to the corporate movement of the rest. Okay? I want the opposite to work. Right? The Bible says of Moses, by faith he kept the Passover. Right? Then it says, by faith he, by faith they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, he kept the Passover, although they all did. But in reference of Hebrews 11, by faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, accounting the reproach of the, the children of Israel more greater than the pleasures of sin that lasted for a season. Next verse. By faith, they crossed over. 
actions of one man led to a blessing on multitudes of people. By one man's sin, Romans 6 said, by one man's sin, um, dis, by one man's disobedience, sin, uh, sin was passed on to many. That's Adam. But it says of Jesus, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So while it's true that the sin of one impacts negatively the rest, the opposite is true in terms of righteousness. The obedience, therefore, of one will have a positive spin-off upon its impact on the rest of the group. So now when I obey, it's not a personal, private, individualistic thing anymore. I obey privately to bring corporate benefits. Right? Now, therefore, your sin is not just about you anymore. Bear this in mind when you're tempted to fail God. It's not just me, Achan. It's not just you in your tent. The Bible says he was in his tent and he hid it in, a, in the ground in his tent. For him, it was personal, private. It's my misdemeanor. But the impact upon Israel was disastrous in terms of its corporate impact. I'm saying to us, let's flip it. Let's be so bent on being obedient in this season. But in your obedience, trust God that I'm obeying privately, seeking God privately. I'm, I'm pushing personally, and I know that my personal pursuit of God and personal private preparation is going to bring corporate benefit to everybody. Amen? Are you with me? Amen? It's very important we understand this. Exodus chapter 11. I want to impress upon you a... A thought. Exodus chapter 11 verse 6. Moreover, please remember this is the previous chapter to the chapter we've been reading almost every week. Exodus 12 gives details of the celebration of the Passover feast. Prior to this, in the previous chapter, God said this to Israel. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as has not been before. And such as shall never be again. Now the cry would be the destruction of the firstborn, obviously. And the, the cry of people, um, of, of mothers, of fathers, that their firstborn would, uh, would suffer. But against the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. Whether against man or beast. That you might understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, when I read this, it really spoke to my heart. God says to Israel, when you leave, not even an Egyptian dog will bark at you as you leave in mass out of this country. And God says, I do so because I need to make a distinction between Israel and, and Egypt. Right? A dog is symbolic of a religious spirit. In Philippians 3, Paul says, beware of dogs. The context, it's religious persecution of the false dimension against the, against the true. Okay? So the exodus would be without barking dog sounds. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, although... 
we might have certain opposition later. But in the actual Exodus, God says it will be uh, soundless, as it were. <laughs> no barking dogs. Certain dogs just know how to bark, but don't have any bite. Okay? But, you know, I like this. It's even God, you know, uh, when people live in mass, naturally dogs would be aroused by this phenomenon, and naturally they would react by barking. But God said, I'm going to silence the dogs. So, what is the principle here? Dogs would naturally bark at a phenomenon like this. But God says, no, in this instant, I will silence all the dogs. Because I want to demonstrate how differently I deal with my people as opposed to the Egyptians. God said, I am drawing a line. Everyone do this. God says, I'm drawing a line. I'm making a distinction between Israelites and Egyptians. Right? Between Israelites and Egyptians. Now, I want to encourage you. No leaven in the camp distinguishes us as God's pure people. We must have distinctives to be distinguished from others. We are not a distinct person if there are no distinctives about us that set us apart from the rest. If we are just like everybody else and there's a blur between the lines, people cannot separate between the people of God and the people of the world. I want to encourage you in this season. God spoke to my heart very forcefully in the week. Randolph, maintain your distinctives. Maintain your distinction. Maintain the fact that you are different. That you're not like the rest. Because God says, in the time of my global judgment with the nations, I'm going to need to separate my people from the rest. God is saying, I'm drawing a line. And I will distinguish between Israel and the Egyptians. You know, it ails my heart that you cannot distinguish today between sons of God and sons of the devil. In John 4, John 8, 44, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are just like your father, the devil. Right? They thought God was their father. Jesus said, no, you are sons of Satan, literally. Sons of Belial in other texts. Right? Not, God is not everybody's father. Don't be under any misnomer. Many people say the Our Father globally at in public institutions, Our Father which art in heaven. But really, if we do an appraisal of where people are at, if God is truly your Father, and I'll show you other uh, portions of Scripture in a moment, if God is truly your Father, there will be a distinctive about you that separates you as His Son compared to other people. And I want to encourage you. Can people separate you and identify you distinctly as a son of God? Now, quickly, I'm going to read a few verses. Leviticus 10, quickly. Leviticus 10, from verse 1. Leviticus 10, from verse 1. Aaron's sons burnt what the scripture calls strange fire. I don't want to go into that now. It will take too long to explain. Just, just except for now, it was forbidden. They transgressed the law as priests in their ceremonial execution of their priestly duties to the Lord in the tabernacle by burning to the Lord what the Bible calls strange fire. 
God is angry, and this is how God responds. Their names are Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons. Notice, these, Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron is kind of the spiritual, political leader. Aaron is like the priestly leader of, of Israel. He's a priest, functions as a high priest um, in the nation at this point in time. The entire Levitical system of priesthood is being set up, book of Leviticus. Nadab and Abihu and the, the sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So this was against the commandment of the, of the Lord. The fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. God is not preferential. He's a God of principle. He doesn't care whether it's Aaron's two senior eldest boys. He kills them because they're violating something. Right? God is a God of principle. God is no respecter of, of persons. Okay? Verse 3, God said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. Now, God spoke to me as a leader because the priesthood in this context depicts leadership. So, especially those that come near to God. God saying, if you come near to me, you priests, you leaders, you will treat me as holy. You won't offer strange fire before me and think you'll get away with it. Right? In other words, and what is the effect? You will, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. When leaders don't treat God holy, the people don't honor God. When leaders live double lives, when leaders live unholy lives, mixed lives, Samaritan lives, when leaders don't maintain their distinction, as separate unto the Lord. The people then begin to compromise and the people lose honor for God. God help us that we never get to that place. Amen. God help me that I always treat the Lord as, as holy. Amen. Although it applies to leadership, I believe generally it would apply to everybody as well. You approach and you want to find nearness to God, treat Him as holy. The Bible says, be holy for as your heavenly Father is holy. That's Matthew in the Beatitudes. It's a commandment, be holy. And holy literally in both Hebrew and Greek means separate, set apart. Listen, separate, set apart. Right? In its etymology, the word means distinct. Nothing to be compared with because you're so different from the rest. So when we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, we are saying, God, you are indescribable. You are ineffable. You are so distinct from others. We cannot describe you. All we can say is, you are, you are holy. Don't think only of holiness in terms of morality, as in terms of carnal expressions of sin is what is unholy, and sanctity and righteousness is what is Holy. Listen to me carefully. In the etymology of the word, 
Holy means set apart, distinct, separate from. Right? Now, if you take that definition of the word, it will manifest itself in a purity. It will manifest itself in a distinction and a set apart unto, unto righteousness. But I want to impress upon us this morning, maintain, and when you leave this building this morning, have this impress in your mind. God has called me to be different. God wants to make a distinction between me and everybody in my workplace. I can't just fit in with the crowd and there's no distinction. There's no lines of demarcation that set me apart as God's son. Amen? Remind your neighbor, you are holy. Right? You are different. Peter calls you a peculiar people. I know there are some more peculiar than others. But the word peculiar just means vastly different. God's special people. Okay? And I, you know, Dr. Segi mentioned at the school that there was a study did um, of the sexual activity practices of young people. And it was discovered that their sexual behavior, the sexual behavior of young people in the church was no different from that of sexual behavior of young people in the world. And he challenged us, where's the difference? We should be a distinct and different people. Amen? Remind your neighbor again, you're different. Whenever I'm tempted to sin now, remember verses like this. I, 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 I want to separate Randolph between you and what is going on in the world. Maintain your distinctiveness. Uh, distinguish yourself in the milieu and the, the muck of the world. In the mire of things carnal. Stand up and maintain your purity. Doesn't matter if the whole world is going one way. Stand your ground. The whole world was wicked in Noah's day. One man's righteousness changed God's heart. God was intent on destroying the entire world. The Bible says every imagination of men's heart was wicked. Not sometimes. It says it was wicked all the time. Continually. And then you read verse 8 of Genesis 6. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Next verse. These are the generations of Noah. And you would expect to read about sons when the Bible talks about generations. Not so. It doesn't talk about his sons. These are the generations of Noah. Now Noah was a righteous man. His generation legacy was left in the earth by the fact that he was so different from what was going on, not at his workplace, not just in his community. He was different from what was going on globally. One man stood his ground. So by the righteousness of one, many will be saved. Noah proves that. You know, I think your stand for righteousness is going to be your, self, your, your family salvation. Your stand for righteousness is going to be the avenue through which God is going to work to bring salvation to many within your context. You can take that as a prophetic word. Amen? A distinction. You versus the rest. Maintain your distinction before the Lord. Amen? Who's serious about this? Come on. You see, the, the, the exodus, the Passover, the leaving of Egypt, God says, in this whole process, I'm about making distinctions. 
between who are my people and who are Egyptians. And no dog of religion, no dog of, of intimidation, no dog of undermining will even, not even bite, will have the opportunity to bark at the representation of righteousness that leaves one, one place and moves to a more preferred location. No dog will even bark. Hey? I, as I speak, what I'm doing prophetically, apostolically, I'm canceling over your lives any attempt of people in your workplace and other quarters to undermine, to discredit, to, to pose questions that undermine who you are in God. Tell your neighbor, no dog will bark at you. You know, I can't, I would love to have seen this. One day when I get to eternity, the Lord just play that one back for me. I want to see how they lift. Just roll back, put that DVD on from your files. Let's see what actually happened. I see all these dogs. One paw, attention. Go. We give you no trouble, no barking. Just leave. Because we recognize the stature of people that you are. The Lord draws a line and he makes a distinction between you and us. No dog is barking here. Tell you them, no dog is barking here. Let me just read this because of time. Uh, I won't comment. There's so much we can say here. Verse 4. So, uh, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, are killed by God because they just enter nonchalantly, casually, and handle holy things without attention to detail, without observing protocol, not having prepared themselves sufficiently ceremonially as priests would have done. And, and God was angry with them, and there was this unholy undistinct manner by which they approach holy things. God was angry with them. And listen carefully. To whom much is given, much is required. By virtue of their position as leading priests, God dealt harshly with them. Let me just say this. Any leader will, by virtue of the grace of God given to him and his role and function performed, I always believe the severity of God in dealing with them will be much more greater than others. It's expected of leaders to lead um, in these matters. But then too, might I also add, the judgment on leading churches will be greater than others. Amen? Those churches that are pioneering things at the forefront of pushing God's purposes need to be so distinct from what happens in the world that we need to make sure that no hedge is broken. Right? Ecclesiastes says, he who breaks the hedge, what will happen? What will happen? It says a snake will, will bite him. If you break the hedge, a snake, which is indicative of uh, the activity of the serpent, Satan. So if you break ranks, if you disobey and you think uh, lightly of it, think nothing of it, perhaps after several warnings, you still continue, still continue, do not um, be surprised when you grant to Satan legal grounds to attack you. What does First John says? First John says, he who is righteous must practice righteousness. It also says that he who keeps himself, the evil one will not touch him. He who keeps himself, the evil one will not touch him. Tell you never, please keep yourself. Please, I can't stress this enough. Next time you're tempted to sin, to miss the mark, to discredit your sonship in some respect. Stop for a while and say, I can't go on with this. 
because I'm, I'm belonging to a corporate community of people. My personal failure is going to negatively impact the corporate community to which I belong. Further, too, I'm going to give tacit um, will, tacit agreement, tacit license to the enemy. I'm opening the doors to him to attack me, my family, etc. Right? I want to encourage you, those things must not persist. Moses called also. So Moses comes to the fore. Moses calls Michel, El, El Zafan, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel, and said to them, come forward. Carry your relatives. The bodies are dead. They call the relatives. Carry your relatives, Moses says. Carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary outside of the camp. So they came forward and they carried them still in their tunics. You know, the, the priests wore this elaborate garb. They were still in that. They carried them out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Etamar, watch. Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, so that you will not die, and that ye will not become wrathful against all the congregation, but your kinsmen and the whole of Israel, they shall be well the burning which the Lord has brought about. You know what God is saying to Aaron? What is the imagery when a man takes his clothes and he rents them? It's mourning, not so? You know what God said to Aaron? I know it's your sons. You are not to mourn this one. I don't know emotion yet. God. It was hard, eh? The priest, and I, I wish we had studied the garb of the priesthood. You would see the expectation of priests. They literally were to be men of principle and not governed by the emotion of the soul. So given the divine judgment, which, which father will not want to wail and mourn? Just the passing away of two sons right now. God says to Aaron, be careful. You're not allowed to tear your clothes. You will not mourn this. So serious. In other words, in the season, what I want to encourage you. Be a man and a woman of principle and not sentimental um, loyalty. Right? You need, this is very important. I don't know why I'm saying this. You can't be sentimentally loyal to and side with someone or with a principle that is in violation of God's eternal law. God says, I need you now to be unemotional about this. Make a spiritual decision and not any, an emotional one. Okay? So the boys are, are carried out. Let me drink a few. Oh, I'm reading the word drink in verse 9. Let me leave a few verses out. Okay? From verse, read verse 10, verse 9 just for the context. From verse 9 onwards. Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so you will not die. It's a perpetual state, uh, statute throughout your generations. Next verse. And so as to make what? God says, I'm giving you all these requirements because I want a distinction. God says, I want a distinction between what? Between the holy and the profane. Between the unclean and the and the clean. Verse 11, so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through, through Moses. So God dealt harshly with the strange fire of two of Aaron's sons 
with the ultimate purpose, and he instituted certain regulations governing the activity of the priesthood. Because God says, I need to make a distinction in you, and you need to visualize that you priest. You need to become the representation of this distinction uh, that I'm going to make between you and others. So that, next verse it says, so that you might, what? So that you might teach. In other words, you've got no basis to teach others on matters that you compromise on. You got, let me just say this. and say that again. You have no authority to teach others on matters that you yourself are compromising on. Okay? A parent has got no legitimate right to correct uh, a child if in the life on, on a matter, if in the life of the parent, that parent is not visibly demonstrating to their child the way of the Lord. Hmm? And I want to encourage you, your right to speak, your right to correct, your right to bring realignment to anybody's life is going to be premised on this fact, that you yourself have become the living embodiment of that principle. Okay? So I have no right to create anyone on the matter of unforgiveness if I'm not demonstrating how to be forgiving by my lifestyle. I cannot encourage anybody or cajole anybody to pray if I'm not actively praying. Hey? I cannot challenge anybody about tithing if I am not tithing personally. I can't say others come on time to a meeting when I don't demonstrate punctuality myself. Your right to speak in any matter to others in any matter is premised on the fact that you, have, you are the living embodiment of that principle. It gives you authority when you do speak. To study this further, you must study the life of Samuel. Samuel reigned as the last judge of Israel. Also, um, um, a prophet of God. And the Bible says throughout his reign, none of his words fell to the ground. Samuel had 100% prophetic accuracy record. His record was flawless. The things he said came to pass. You know what he challenged Israel with this? Towards the end of his life, he said to them, from the first day, even until now, I'm just paraphrasing. He says, none of you can point a finger at me. That is why, isn't that not a a surprise then? The Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel's life. Do you know what? When Josiah, the king, had a reformation and the Passover hadn't been celebrated for years before that, Israel went away from God and neglected the Passover. Do you know why? You can't celebrate the Passover without embodying all the principles that it represented. And when they were away from God, they neglected the Passover. This priest is raised by God. The Bible says he celebrates the Passover. And when you study that Reformation, there's a verse that says this. And there was not a Passover in his reign, likened unto it. No, not until the days of Samuel. But when you study Samuel's life, there's no record in, of, in, in, of, of any Passover celebrated throughout the life of Samuel. So how can the Bible say in Josiah's time, he celebrated this, exa- this elaborate and exuberant Passover because God was restoring Israel. 
Hezekiah did the same thing years after. Right? Hezekiah celebrated the Passover for 14 days. The requirement was only seven. But he realized we're restoring things. Let's amplify the principle. But in Josiah's reign, God said, it was also lavish. It was also great. It was celebratory. The nation was coming back to God. And God says there was not a Passover like it celebrated in his day. No, not like the Passover since Samuel's day. But the problem is there was no Passover, at least recorded Passover, celebrated in Samuel. Right? I'll explain why maybe at a later, later study. You know what happened in Samuel's day? There was, in Samuel's time, there was no literal need to do it because he became the embodiment of all the principles by how he lived. Hmm? Isn't that a powerful thought? Dr. Sege has a wonderful teaching on this. Amen? Now it's time to live the principles. Not so? Amen? So tell your neighbor, be distinct. Two more verses of Scripture. Um, Exodus chapter 22. Uh, by the way, if you're taking notes, the, the word distinct in the Hebrew, in these verses we've read now, is badal. B-A-D-A-L. Badal. It literally means to separate, to divide, and to detach. Everyone say detach. Right? Detach. Detach. Ezekiel 22 and verse 26. Let me just read this. Her priests have done violence to my law, and they have profaned my holy things. And they have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. Who is this against? The, the leadership, the priesthood. It says, they have done violence to my law, God says, and they have made no distinction between what is holy and what is profane. And notice, they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they hide their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am pro profaned among them. You know what is sad for me here in this verse? God is chiding the priesthood, not so. And he says, you priesthood, you yourselves made no distinction between the unholy and what is profane. Noch al, on top of this, you guys don't even teach my people the difference between clean and unclean. You know, it's a sad day for me when we literally have to spell out what is unclean. We take it for granted that people will know what to stay away from. But from time to time, I believe, God will give leadership a mandate to literally spell out in very clear terms things you should stay away from. Right? Because not, it's taken for granted that people know the difference between the holy and the unholy. Right? The clean and the profane. What is acceptable to God and what is unacceptable to Him. And I want to encourage you. Parents, don't gloss over things that you allow your, your, your children to be exposed to. You're not maintaining the distinction, the fact that they are separate from the, from the world. Okay? And I want to encourage you, insist upon that distinction. You're saving your son. You're saving your daughter. 
make the distinction very, very clear. Certain music is unsavory to listen to. Okay? Um, some function we went to this year, and I went to pick Luke up, and in picking him up, I heard a song. And we, we both spoke to him afterwards. We said, we can't allow you back to this context. Why? I have to separate. And it's, it's a glorified music concert. Hmm? And it's, it's um, no one can be bobbing their head to a nice beat with unsavory lyrics. And subliminally, you're entrenching that in your mindset. And then years later, you want to be scratching your head and say, but why this behavior? But we've permitted certain things. Hmm? I want to encourage you, tell your neighbor, make a distinction. Make a distinction. Dr. Seg is very excessive about this fact, but I can understand his motivation. There has to be a difference. Certain music is not kosher for our kids to listen to. Certain, certain forms are not acceptable. Sexually explicit forms are simply not acceptable for you to view. We have to literally spell out what is clean and what is, what is unclean. Lies in any form is not acceptable to God. Don't say the Lord understands. No, the Lord doesn't understand. The Lord says, I want you to speak truth irrespective of the consequences. Maintain your distinction. Tell your neighbor I'm different. And I'll maintain it. Hallelujah. God says, I make a distinction between you and the I want to encourage, I can't, I can't. You know what God, what, what nauseates God is the Samaritan um, posture. Samaritan means mixture, means mixture. And I want to encourage you, main, be pure, but don't mix your issues. Don't mix your issues, but maintain your distinction before the Lord. Okay? Just 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't have it in my notes, but around about verse 13 or so, just quickly before. I round up this. Next verse. Look at this. Watch. This comes to me now as I'm, I'm thinking about this. Paul said in the New Testament, do not be bound together with, uh, Old King James language, should not be unequally yoked. Right? For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with, darkness. You can't have fellowship of light with darkness. There has to be a separation. Next verse. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Next verse. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as he said, Watch, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Tell your neighbor, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God says, I will not just be among them, I will be in them. So we are the house of God. We are the dwelling place of Emmanuel, God with us. Next verse. He says, therefore, in the light of what I've just said, Paul said, and he quotes an Old Testament verse, come out from their midst, and be what? Be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Now watch the next verse. 
I will be to you what? I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Next verse, I think there's one more. No. Oh, well, let's read the next verse because, you know, there were no chapter divisions when the scriptures were wrote. In fact, he continues the flow. Therefore, he says, having these promises, let us do what? Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God. You know, I like the flow of thought here. God says, be separate. If you would, then he says, for then I will be a father to you. Right? Everyone who names the name of the Lord must depart from iniquity. Right? First John says that um, we mustn't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world, it says the love of the Father is not in the man that loves the the world. And I want to encourage you. Is God your father? Come on, answer me. Is God your father? Then manifest the fact that you are sons and daughters by maintaining your distinctives. Right? Look at yourself in the mirror when you get home today. Look at yourself. Talk. Have a self-talk. You, you are different. You're not like the rest. Talk to yourself. Randolph, maintain your distinction. Be a Nazarite in the spirit. Right? The Bible says of Joseph. You know what Joseph? I did a study of this years ago. It comes to me now. Listen carefully. Joseph replaced who has the firstborn in his family? Reuben. Reuben slept with his father's concubine. And he, Reuben was the firstborn in the family. But he lost that privilege. It was transferred to Joseph. It was according to Levitical law, because the law in Leviticus said this, if the firstborn son of a man's wife dies, the firstborn son of the second wife assumes firstborn status. Who was Joseph? The firstborn of Rachel. Reuben was the firstborn of Leah. You know what the Bible says? When the prophecy from Jacob and from Moses in Deuteronomy 33 is prophesied on Joseph. It goes something like this. And the blessings, the prophecy to Joseph is this. The blessings of your forefather Jacob will come upon you. Your branch will overflow a, will run over a wall, comma, you who were distinguished among your brothers. And if you double-click on that word distinguished, do you know what it means in the Hebrew? Nazarite. What were the Nazarites? Separated from birth. Kept themselves pure. Did Joseph do that? Come on. Potiphar's wife. He kept his distinction. He refused sexual immorality when he had the opportunity. He kept the fact that he was different. And because of that, when the prophecies came to him, the prophets referenced the fact that you who were distinguished among your brothers. Who loves the prayer of Jabez? Huh? Remember that season when it first hit the globe? We all discovered, oh, it's fine to pray for yourself now. <laughs> okay. Oh, that you would bless me in, deed enlarge my territory. You know that? That your hand will always be with me. 
that should keep my, my, my path from all evil? Who loves to pray that prayer? Who loves that prayer? It's a nice prayer, not so. You know, I'm surprised how many people know the reference and they know where it's found and they can actually quote it. But people quote it without quoting the preceding verse. Because you can't just quote that. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. <laughs> that you would enlarge my territory. I went to some prayer meetings. This was the theme of prayer meetings in that season. And that your hand would be keep me from evil. The previous verse says this. Now Jabez was more honorable than all his brothers. And then he said to the Lord, Oh, that you would bless me. God blesses a more honorable man. There's honorability, but God is calling us to greater honor. Amen? Tell your neighbor, be distinguished amongst the brothers. Be distinguished in your workplace. Uh, if you're a doctor, be the most distinguished doctor in terms of your separateness. Your lawyer, teacher, Quinton, uh, on the workplace. I know you're having a difficult time right now, but be distinguished. Show them that you're separate. Maintain your distinction. Refuse compromise at, at, at all levels. Amen? On the sports field, young men, maintain your distinction. Wherever you go, let no one be able to point a finger at you and say, he blurred the lines. Somebody once said, if someone did a forensic inquiry upon the entirety of your life, seen and unseen, that is, visible and the contents of thoughts of your heart, if someone did a spiritual forensic inquiry, would there be sufficient evidence to convict you as a son of God? Conviction of good sense. Or is the evidence going to sway against your, your claim to, to sonship? Two more verses, then I close. Okay, we're doing well with time today. I'm going to leave this with you. Here are two promises that I'm going to leave that God promises us. Watch. Now, before I give you the promises, we're going to end on a good note. <laughs> Who wants this distinction? You say, yes, no matter what it costs, I might have compromised, blur the lines in the past, but Father, I want to be serious. Because in this exodus, my distinction, listen carefully, your, your distinction from the rest is going to recruit to you certain responses from God. Let me give you one. Exodus 33 verse 16. How for, then, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. God is talking to Moses. How will I know that we have found favor in your sight? Is it not by your going with us? So that we, I and your people, might be what? Might be distinguished from the other people who are upon the face of the earth. You know, one thing that Moses said to God, if you do not go with us, we will not leave this place. And here he said, go with us, for in this manner, is it not by your going with us, we, I and your people, may be distinguished or separate from the other people in the world. It is said of David, and David prospered because the Lord was with him. Same verse is said of Joseph, and Joseph prospered because the Lord was with him. Solomon, and Solomon prospered because the Lord was with him. Can I prophesy to you? Some of you are going through hard times right now. But know this, declares the Lord. 
Because you've maintained your position. God says, I will give, I will give uncontestable evidence of my favor and presence upon you. And others will look at the doings of the Lord in your life. And they will marvel. Their conclusion will be this. Surely God must be with them. Because of the impossibility of the situation. They could never have gotten to where they were through ordinary means. You know, God is going to justify, validate certain things in your life. God's going to exonerate you. The justification of the Lord will be your portion. And it's going to be a testimony um, that God's going to give you. People will look at your life and say, that family, that brother, surely has the presence of God in his life. Because, and let me say this, please don't take lightly what I'm saying now. It's going to be a distinguishing factor. They will say this to you, Nikki. Surely God is with them. Because the things that are happening cannot result through ordinary means. If it's humanly possible, it's not supernatural. But when it goes beyond the possibility of human capacity, surely God must be in the midst. Amen? So get ready for the miraculous demonstration of the Lord. Moses realized the thing that will distinguish us from the rest, God, is your presence. So, and I like the verse Quentin read today, Exodus 23. I will send my angel before you. Right? He will go before you. Besides an angel, which was a literal angel, but uh, corporeally uh, manifest in Moses the person. The Bible says, in him my name shall be. Besides that, there was a pillar of cloud by day. How is that? God gave them natural air conditioning in a hot desert. How can, you, how can six, well, 600,000 men, how can a million plus people march through desert terrain and no one die of heat stroke? God sent a massive cloud, block off the sun, keep them cool. Natural air conditioning. Tell you, God's a genius. How are you going to work and walk through the night when desert is very cold? By the way, weather patterns are literally the opposite, night and day. And you can't see. So God says, no problem. I said, it's a massive pillar of fire by night in the air over you for heat and for light. God says, you are distinct. You are my people. I will manifest my presence in your life with such supernatural, overt supernatural demonstration. The nations will look at you and say, impossible for one million plus people to march through desert and not one of them dies and not one shoe wears out. Not one gets sick. Surely God must be with them. But after 40 years, listen carefully, by the time they get to Jericho to take the first city, what do the men of Jericho say of them? What did Rahab the harlot say to the two spies? She said to them, the hearts of the men in the city faint because of the children of Israel. Hmm? God himself will intimidate your enemies. <laughs> I'm building myself up even as I'm speaking in the most holy faith. And I'm trying to encourage you as well. Amen? Maintain your distinction. Don't, please, brethren, don't fail now. Don't fail now. Just, just maintain your purity and watch how God's going to supernaturally vindicate you by an unusual demonstration 
of His presence in your life. The fact that He is with you. Your greatest enemy will now say to you, my heart faints because of you. That enemy you thought was an impregnable fortress as Jericho was. They will bow the the obstacle you thought was the greatest obstacle to your inheritance, which Jericho was. Exodus 8. Oh, this is beautiful. You must ruminate on this as we close. Exodus 8 verse 21 says the following. If you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies. Who loves flies? Nobody. Um, It's summer now. What are flies attracted to? Dirt. Filth. Right? So, read read that in context. For if you do not let my people go, watch, behold, I will send what? Not one or two. Swarms. I mean, we just battle with one or two. Imagine a whole swarm of flies. God says, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and on your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies. And also the ground which they dwell. I like this. Is that a good situation? Very, very bad. One fly swatter won't do it. You need tons of doom stocked up. I can't imagine a swarm of flies it's in the house, not just in the atmosphere. Swarms of flies in the house. But let me ask you this. Is Israel still in Egypt? Yes. So what the Egyptians experience, the Israelites don't. Next verse says, but, everyone say but. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Goshen was a land in Egypt where all the Israelites live. But God said, on that day I will set Apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there. In order that you might know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of Israel. Next, next verse. I will put what? The same word distinction by Dali's use. I will put a division between my people and your people, Pharaoh. Tomorrow, this sign will occur. How do the flies know? You come to the border of Goshen. Jesus, oh, turn around. Go back. God says the flies will be everywhere. Goshen was a little like province where these hundreds and thousands, almost million plus Israelites live. God said a fly will not even cross the border there. And I'm going to do this, God says, to show everybody how I separate and I put a distinction between Egypt and my people. You see, when you maintain your distinction, you get the blessing of the distinction. When God deals judgmentally with the world, you will have immunity. I declare that over you, Jacques. You will have immunity. Do not be concerned what's happening in the workplace. You will have immunity. Amen? Tell your neighbor you will be protected. You know, I was so, I was so encouraged by this. God says to me, Randolph, do not Do not fear. I've had a terrible spirit of oppression the past few weeks. More than I've ever had ever before. But do not fear. God says, maintain your distinction and I will will exonerate you by excluding you from judgment when it occurs globally. Then when people say, how come it's happening everywhere but not happening with you? That will be a sign. You won't say a sign. 
It'll be a signature, a sign that all will be well with you. It will shut the mouth of the lions. It will shut the mouth of your greatest detractors. Because clearly the Lord is with you. But flies, when they attempt to come into Goshen, they see no filth here. No filth here. Because flies are attracted to filth. No filth here. Let's hit a U-turn and go where it is. Hmm? Maintain your distinction. Let's pray. With your eyes closed, I just want to read one verse, one psalm. Just close your eyes and listen to this verse. It's Psalm 4 and verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. And the Lord will hear him when he calls. The Lord has set aside the godly man and woman for himself. And the Lord will hear him when he calls. With your eyes closed, you know I feel such an impress of the Lord that the supernatural, some of you are going to experience a supernatural manifestation of God's presence this week. It's going to be supernatural. Take that as a word. It's going to be to show your distinction. The Lord says, because you've kept your distinction, I will manifest the fact that you are distinct. What happens in your jurisdiction, judgmentally, will not come near you. I will keep you, declares the Lord. I will keep you. I've set you apart for myself. When you call, I will definitely answer you. I want to remind you of Joseph. The blessings of your forefathers have come upon you. The heights of Jacob have come upon you. You who have distinguished yourself among your brothers. Slip up our hands to the Lord. Slip up our hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Our hearts pulsate with anticipation for what you desire to do in and among us. We await significant breakthrough. Some of us have reached an impasse in certain trials and calamities. Some of us have reached cul-de-sacs in the journey. No entry signs. Prohibitions have come. But today, Father, with our hands lifted up, we ask, look upon us, your peculiar people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. We are a holy nation set apart to manifest the praises of you who have called us out from darkness into your marvelous light. Make a distinction between us and the world, I pray. In this migration, Father, I pray that there would come such notable demonstrations of the supernatural provision of our Father as we keep ourselves, as we don't break the hedge, as we set ourselves as distinct, separate, different unto you, holy like you, I know, God, that not even a dog will bark at us as we leave the place of restriction and move to the place 
of unlimited possibilities. We leave confidently and we migrate knowing that you are our father. You said, as we've just read in your word, that you will be a father to us and we will be sons and we will be daughters. So, Father, I ask right now, as our hands are lifted up, Father, I pray a purity, a washing in every home, a washing to every adolescent, every young child, every mother, father, husband, and wife. I pray the cleansing of the Lord be our portion. Help us to maintain our distinction before you, for we are your people. What a privilege we have of representing an awesome, awesome, loving Father. We do love you, and we want to be accurate in terms of what we manifest about you, dear Father. Everyone who names your name, your word says, will depart from iniquity. And we subscribe to that this morning. By the power of your grace that works mightily within us, we will do this in your name. Amen. Amen.